Welcome back to Navy Yard, Nats fans, and head on over to Walters. It's going to be a big-time homestand for the Nats, and everyone is gathering at Walters before, during, and after the games in the AC or under the covered streetery. Walters is the place to be. This week's reservations are going fast, including those for Sunday, July 4th, when Walters will be opening at 9 in the morning for the early game. Make your reservations now at waltersdc.com slash reservations. I got a chance to check out Walters in person this week, and let me tell you, it's going to be hopping this holiday weekend. Make sure to check out their self-poured beer wall while hanging out with friends and watch every major sporting event on their numerous TVs. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hottest man on the planet leading off against him, Kyle Schwarber. First pitch, Bellin. Deep right field. Way back. Going. 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 Goodbye. A first pitch fastball off the facing of the third deck down the right field line. Bang. Zoom goes Kyle Schwarber. His seventh leadoff home run of the year. His second in as many games in the 12th of his career. swing is out of this world. It's the Nationals one and the Rays nothing. One pitch into the bottom of the first inning. And welcome to Nats Chat for Wednesday, June 30th, 2021, along with Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. If only this month of June 2021 never ended. If you're a Nationals fan, you never want this month to end. If you're Kyle Schwerber, you for darn sure never want this month to end. But this month is ending, at least in terms of the Nats going into the final day, with the Nationals for the first time since being 1-0 and this season, being a game above 500. It's amazing it took this long, but the Nationals have gotten back to this point. Nats improved to 39-38 and with a 4-3 win over the Tampa Bay Rays at Nationals Park on Tuesday night in Game 1 of a two-game series. The run continues for the Nationals. The run continues for Kyle Schwarber. Mark, you have said it. Things are happening for this team right now. They continue to happen. 13 wins in 16 games. As Kyle Schwarber goes, so go the Nationals, Al. (laughs) I mean, really, and we kind of joked about this early on in the streak, but if this continues, not quite to this extent, but if he has a huge year for them in the end and they keep winning and it's a direct reflection of his turnaround. I mean, you have to talk about him as an MVP candidate, right? Who's been more valuable to their team this year 
than Kyle Schwarber has been to the Nationals. I'll let you get into the analytics of that and explain to me why I'm wrong. But emotionally, he's been their MVP. (laughs) And his incredible home run streak coincides exactly with the team's resurgent. He's hit now 16 homers in 18 games, and the Nationals have won 13 of 16 to get from nine games under 500 to one game over 500. So I know a lot of different people have made this happen, but nobody's made it happen more than Kyle Schwarber. Well, we can debate what defines an MVP another time. What I think, though, is so fascinating about the Schwarber saga is this. So that line that he had at that press conference weeks ago of stay with us, that in so many ways now, you look back at that, that's like a rally cry for this year. That's a mantra for this year. The year in which the Capitals won the Stanley Cup, Alex Ovechkin very famously early that season, I think actually it was like the first day of Caps training camp, said, we're not going to be sucked this year. And that became kind of this ironic tagline for that year. And I kind of feel like stay with us is going to be the line for this season with the Nationals, especially given who said it, Kyle Swarber, who's become the face of the season at this point with another home run on Tuesday night. Yeah, you know, we've talked about this with Gerardo Parra. You can say all you want, but you got to back it up with performance. Well, Schwarber said that, remember, before this whole thing started, personally, for him. And boy, has he backed it up since then. And so it carries even more weight when you do it. So yeah, maybe stick with us is the mantra for this team. And look, a lot of people weren't so sure if they should stick with the Nationals about two and a half weeks ago. Now they're over 500, breathing down the Mets' necks and beating good teams. You know, it's only two games into this stretch here. But they just beat the Mets. They just beat the Rays. And you couldn't ask for a better start to this closing stretch of the first half of the season than that. Weird night in the National League East. The Nationals, the Mets, and the Philadelphia Phillies all winning by 4-3 scores on Tuesday night. The Mets winning at Atlanta 4-3. The Phillies beating Miami 4-3. So the Nets uh, do remain alone in second in the NL East, but still three games behind the Mets. Two games ahead of the Phillies. Two and a half games Ahead of the Braves. What really is standing out right now, too, with the Nationals, in addition to, of course, Schwarber, the Nats are hitting homers, man. As the weather has gotten warmer, as, you know, that D.C. air is now that familiar summer air, the Nationals are pounding baseballs out of Nationals Park. Nationals Park has played like a bandbox here in these recent games. Nats now have 10 home runs over the team's last three games. You had the five homers in that 8-4 win over the Mets on Monday night. You had three more homers in this 4-3 win over the Rays on Tuesday night, and the Nats are scoring early. Three runs over the first two innings on Tuesday night, savaging Jared Eikhoff, who, by the way, got designated for assignment on Tuesday by the Mets. The Nats are costing people jobs with the way the Nats are hitting home runs right now. And then Rich Hill, the old man who did settle down on Tuesday night. I will give him credit for that. But man, were the Nats teeing off on Rich Hill in his age 41 season, at least in the early goings of this win on Tuesday night. I'll tell you what, at the end of the first inning, I thought Rich Hill might be out of a job come Wednesday, because that's how bad he looked. And when you're 41, you don't know how many chances you get. It could be a quick, uh, quick trigger, and that's the end of it for you. I mean, they were all over him, and it wasn't just Schwarber on the first pitch of the bottom of the first. Turner doubles, Soto homers. Castro doubles in the first. Robles finally homers on the first pitch of the second inning. They were all over him. And you mentioned, what, 10 homers over the last few days. Well, there's a stretch there. If you take the eight innings, offensive innings, from Monday's game against the Mets and then the first two innings of this game against 
the Rays, that that would be eight homers in 10 innings for this team. Okay, (laughs) the team that struggled so much to elevate the baseball and hit it out of the park just hit eight homers in 10 innings. They are taking advantage of the warm air here. We've seen it happen every year since the ballpark opened. It does get better come late June into July and August, and they are putting on a show right now. Air matters. Ask anyone who's ever pitched for the Colorado Rockies. The quality of air matters so much, and we're seeing that here with what the Nationals are doing. Well, yes, Kyle Schwarber did it again. Another leadoff homer in a first inning as well, smashing a first-pitch leadoff homer on a bomb off the facing of the third deck in right field off the aforementioned Rich Hill and what ended up being a three-run Nationals first inning on Tuesday night. This was another sure bomb with the emphasis on bomb, the homer going a projected 434 feet per stat cast. This is Schwarber's seventh leadoff homer in a first inning this season. He's now just too shy of the Nationals' single-season record for such homers, Alfonso Soriano's nine in 2006. The way Schwarber's going, he may break that by the All-Star break. I mean, forget about later in the season. Schwarber may do it this week as, as this week goes on. And what was so funny, too, about Schwarber on Tuesday night, Mark, he made two loud outs on fly balls to the center field warning track. It felt like he could have had maybe three homers in this game on Tuesday night legitimately did, Al. The outs are loud. <laughs> he hit into a double play in the second. And then at that point, you're thinking, man, I don't know if this guy's ever going to get another hit again. Maybe they should bump him down the lineup or something. But no, I mean, it's an event to watch him step to the plate right now. And I wrote about a massinsports.com that because he's leading off, if you've got a ticket to a game, you better account for all the traffic and the parking and the entry and everything else. And you better make sure you're in your seat by the time the first pitch of the bottom of the first is thrown, because there's a not insignificant chance it's going to leave the yard. That's where we're at right now. And you don't want to miss that. It is the greatest show in baseball right now, maybe aside from Shohei Otani, who is pretty incredible himself. But it's just a remarkable thing. And we keep thinking, ah, it's going to end here at some point, And it's not ending. It is a remarkable thing to watch. He was right after the first pitch. I mean, he is all over it. And that was like you said, a no-doubter off the facade of the third deck. I've never seen anything like it, not in person, and I'm not sure that many of these folks around here have seen anything like it. We're talking Bonds and Sosa, and there's a hopefully a key difference between what Schwarber is doing compared to those two. Yeah, I mean, the belief has been, right, in this PED testing era, you were never going to see something like Sosa, McGuire, Bonds again, and you probably won't. I mean, I don't know that anyone is ever going to hit for 70-plus homers in a season again, but to see a tear like this. And look, we have seen clean players or presumed clean players go on tears. Ken Griffey Jr. was famous for doing something like this, although never something quite like this. 16 homers now in 18 games. I mean, it's one thing if you hit four homers in five games, eight homers in 10 games even. 16 homers in 18 games is absurd. Your Kyle Schwarber slugging percentage update, he has now raised his slugging percentage for the season over this 18-game stretch by 172 points from 404 to 576. I equated this with the immortal Tony Ormus in RBI baseball. Also, Kevin Bass, he was lethal in RBI baseball on Nintendo back in the day. But whatever 80s player, whichever 80s player you want to go with, Kyle Schwarber is hitting like that guy and then some right now. What a job he's doing. He is punishing pitcher mistakes. You elevate a fastball by Schwarber. He's not missing. And, and you know, the other thing too about Schwarber, He's got that like classic baseball player, short, compact, explosive swing. Like you think about the two major position player newcomers for the Nats this year. I could see why Josh Bell 
is prone to slumps. He's a taller guy. He's got longer arms. Probably for him, his swing mechanics getting out of whack, that's an easier thing to happen with him because of the way his body is constructed. With Schwarber, it's that classic thing of short arms, compact, ultra-powerful. The swing doesn't have to cover much ground. And man, when he connects, he connects, and he launches bombs, right? All these homers, it feels like, are 400-plus feet. That's a great analysis of it, Alan. And I'll tell you, having watched him from afar, not really paid that close attention to him over the years, I envisioned him as this kind of Paul Bunyan-esque, big, hulking guy. He's not. He's not that tall. I mean, he's he's strong, obviously, but he's not necessarily what you think of in terms of like a big physical presence when you meet him. Josh Bell is. Josh Bell's huge, broad shoulders, long arms. And like you said, it's a very long swing with a lot of moving parts and they all have to be in sync to work. And what Schwarber has done, especially as he's gotten into more of that crouched stance that he talked about in spring training that he used a lot in, in college at Indiana, that's helped keep everything simple. There's not a lot of movement there. And when you have the reflexes, the pitch recognition, everything else that he has, you can do what he's doing. And I just got to say, I've been sitting here the last two days picturing, you know, little 10-year-old Al Galdi in 1987 playing his 8-bit Nintendo and calculating Tony Armas and Kevin Bass's slugging percentage. And uh, I probably would have been right there with you, to be honest. That was me, too. That game is outstanding. That is the best baseball video game ever. The original RBI Baseball. RBI Baseball 2 was more advanced, but the original RBI Baseball was an all-timer. I will never let go of that. Definitely not. Hey guys, Al Galdi here to tell you about FanDuel. It's great to be in the midst of baseball season. Nothing like watching a game. Great weather, cold drink, and a little action on FanDuel Sportsbook. If you have never bet on baseball before, now is the perfect time to give that a shot. FanDuel is letting new users swing for the fences risk-free as you'll get up to $1,000 back if your first bet doesn't win. And once you have an account, you can get up to $25 back each day if your same game parlay bet falls one leg short. This way you can combine multiple baseball bets for an even bigger win all season long. There's a reason that FanDuel Sportsbook is America's number one sportsbook. The app is simple to use. It's got great odds on all different betting markets, unique fun bet types like same game parlay and always on promotions to let you get more action out of every game day. And when you win, FanDuel will pay you your winnings in as little as 24 hours. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and sign up with promo code CHAT to get in on the action. That's FanDuel Sportsbook. Promo code chat and games on Wednesday night include the Orioles at Houston at 810. Matt Harvey is starting for the O's. You know which way we go when Harvey starts. He was better in his last start, but we're still talking about a guy with an ERA of 754 on the season facing what has been by far the best lineup in the majors so far this season and that of the Astros. Ride the Strohs in this one. 21 plus and present Colorado, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, or West Virginia. First on my real money wager, only for risk-free bet. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site. Credit that expires in seven days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanal.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-9-WITH-IT, Indiana. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-GAMBLER, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Virginia. Tennessee, 1-800-889-9789. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Here's the set of the pitch. Swing and a belt. Deep right field. Way back. This one is gone. Goodbye. Clears the fence into the Nationals' bullpen. And Juan Soto has his first home run of the year at Nationals Park. All right, so Schwarber, home run. Juan Soto, like you mentioned, hit a homer. And we don't take that for granted for all of the conversations we've had about the lack of power for Juan Soto this season. Juan Soto blasting poor Hill, the old man, Rich Hill, a two-run shot off Hill on a line drive that just barely went over the right field wall in that Nationals three-run first. And I had to laugh when I saw this because we've spent so much time this year talking about Juan Soto not properly elevating baseballs. And now we can make the joke of even on his home runs, he doesn't properly elevate baseballs because that looked like, you know, a single, maybe a double, and the ball just kept going. And it just barely sailed over the wall, but it went over the wall. So it goes down as a home run. 378 projected feet per stat cast. If you track such things, it is Soto's first home run since a one-out two-run shot to dead center in the top of the first of that 9-7, 11-inning win at the Tampa Bay Rays on June 9th. It's funny, Ryan Zimmerman, the previous game, hit his first home run since that game, that 11-inning win at the Rays. And then Soto, the next game, hits his first home run since that 11-inning win at the Rays. But nice to see this with Soto. He's had some doubles lately, and he finally gets off the schneid in terms of not having hit a home run in a while. We need somebody to do the side-by-side look of the parabolas of Juan Soto's home run in the first inning and Mike Zanino's homer in the ninth (laughs) inning, okay? You ready for the difference in launch angles? Soto's was 19 degrees, okay? That's hardly anything. 19 degrees and it cleared the fence. Mike Zanino's was 48 degrees, (laughs) 
basically straight up in the air and he hit it for a home run to see the two of those side by side would be fascinating but hey any way you can get it out for Soto he needed that one was his first one at home this year his first one at all in a while we've seen some good signs the last few days you know the double off the wall on Monday we've seen some other cases here where he's starting to pull the ball with a little more authority so slowly but surely maybe he is getting back to being the one Soto that we've come to expect Yeah, and one thing with Soto, and you can kind of lose sight of this if you're not looking at this stuff day in, day out, his batted ball stats do remain really good. He is hitting balls hard, like his process stats for the season are really good. Like you have your result stats, right? Your average, your on base, your slugging, your homers, etc. But you also have now with all the stat cast data, the process stats, and the process stats are there. So there's every reason to believe that Juan Soto is going to catch fire at some point this year. The thing he's been missing are the home runs. The launch angle has not been there, but everything else has been there. I know he made that joke with you guys the other day, right? He's hitting, what, like homers into the ground. That's why he's hitting all these double plays. That's a pretty funny line, but there's actually truth to that. There's validity with that. That kind of is what he's been doing for a good chunk of this year. Yeah, he's hitting ground balls over 100 miles an hour, (laughs) and they're turning into double plays. Well, you're right. The process is good. It's just a very minor little thing to get under it just a little bit more, get out in front of it a little bit more. And I'm sure for him, that's what's made this whole thing so agonizing, is that you want to think, I need to overhaul everything. Something's horribly wrong here. And no, it really is stick with it, make this little minor adjustment, perhaps, and that'll turn it around. And uh, maybe we are seeing some signs here. We've been fooled by him before this year, but maybe we are seeing some signs that he is starting to figure that thing out. All right. So Schwarber homered, great. Soto homered, great. But come on, was any home run by the Nationals on Tuesday night more satisfying than Victor Robles homering? Yes, it happened. It finally happened. It feels like the first time Victor Robles in game number 77 of the Nationals regular season finally hits a home run. It is a first pitch leadoff homer to left field off, yes, Rich Hill. That's how bad Rich Hill was on Tuesday night, at least early on. He gave up a homer to Robles. Here's the pitch to Robles. Swung on, belted, deep left field. Way back. This one is gone. Goodbye. Bottom of the second inning, the homer going a projected 399 feet per stat cast. Robles, by the way, in the number eight spot, not in the number nine spot. I don't know, Davey. Maybe now you should move him back down to number nine. But Robles homering, it's been one of the great mysteries of this season. Not that Victor Robles is some prodigious home run hitter, but the guy did have 17 bombs in the 2019 regular season that he had had zero coming into this game on Tuesday. Really was odd. I know he's not a great hitter. I know he's not having a very good season, but zero homers is strange. Good to see him finally do this. And you know, that right knee contusion, which we thought might be a thing when he suffered it on Sunday, he was out there as a defensive replacement late in the win on Monday night, and he's out there hitting a homer in this win on Tuesday night. Well, and there was a a moment there. He took a swing and hit the ball back to the mound. It was his next at bat. And he kind of fell down and his knee looked like it had twisted up. And I thought, oh, no, here we go. And he everything seemed to be fine after that. He jogged off the field, played the rest of the game, no problem. So I guess the knee's all right. That I thought was a little bit of a scary moment. But I agree with you 100% that the most important home run in this game was the Robles home run. And you know who else thought it was most important was Davey Martinez because he handed him. We just found out about this. Some smart observers have started to see this in recent days. He handed him the key 
And this is a new thing, a necklace with a key on it that Davey hands out to whoever he thinks provided the key moment of the game, usually on a home run, and he gave it to Victor Robles. So that tells you what the manager thought about the significance of that one. I do think that was a really important home run for Victor Robles as he moves forward. See, I thought Davey made the player wear the key for the player who has to bat ninth, but I, I guess not. I guess it's, it's, for, it's for what you just said. So that's good. That's good. You know, it's interesting, though, you bring up the knee and how things looked in that next plate appearance, because I did notice this when Robles was in the game defensively on Monday night. He had that put out and he looked a little ginger on the knee on that put out. It, it looked like there was a little, you know, hitch in the giddy up in that moment. So sort of combining that with what you just referenced, that knee probably is still not 100 percent. I mean, clearly it's good enough for him to play, but that probably is something that Victor's trying to play through right now. Yeah, I'm guessing he's not at 100%, obviously. I mean, that was a bad hit-by-pitch the other day, and you could see that that wasn't just a run-of-the-mill one. That got him in a particularly bad spot on the side of the right knee, and he couldn't even really make it down to first base the other day when that happened. So the fact that he was back, I I thought he would need a couple days off. In fact, he's back out there said a lot to me, but it is something you're going to have to monitor. It's probably the kind of thing that you're not worried about him doing anything worse to it by playing. It's not like there's structurally something wrong that playing on is going to cause something to tear. It's just a matter of pain tolerance for what I'm sure is a very deep bruise on his side of his knee. Well, Joe Ross was the national starting pitcher in this 4-3 win over the Tampa Bay Rays at Nationals Park on Tuesday night. It sure feels like we've spent so much of this national season when it comes to talking starting pitchers, having these conversations of, well, is this guy finally on track or isn't he? And man, this guy's been pretty good here lately. What does this mean for this guy moving forward this season and maybe in his career? And I feel like we're going to have one of these conversations right now with Joe Ross, who, if you bottom line it now, has been good, actually really good in three of his last four starts. And he was good in this game against the Rays on Tuesday night. Two runs in six into third innings, seven strikeouts versus six hits and two walks on 88 pitches. He gave up a run in the top of the fifth on a two-out solo homer by the Maryland product, Brandon Lau, on what was a bomb uh, to center field. That was some shot by Lau. And then Ross giving up a run top of the six, one-out double by Austin Meadows, and then a two-out double by Kevin Kiermeyer on a one-two pitch. But otherwise, Joel Ross was good. And I tell you what's standing out, at least to me, over these uh, recent starts here. Again, I mentioned he's been good now in three of the last four starts. If you look at these last four starts, 29 strikeouts versus four walks. Kind of what we've seen with Eric Fetty, a guy not known for being a strikeout pitcher, being more of a strikeout pitcher this season. Ross, at least lately, is generating the strikeout, and I don't think it's coincidental that that does coincide with his recent results having been a lot better. He's also throwing the ball harder, 95-96 consistently in this game, which I think was about as good as we've seen from him this year. Great sign, kept the pitch count down, didn't have that one big inning that were at all falls apart for him, which is so often uh, the case. And there were a couple that it could have happened. He had runners on base, runners in scoring position several times. We got a big strikeout of Austin Meadows in the third with a couple runners on base. He got a big strikeout of Zanino in the sixth after one run had scored. And he was able to come back out for the seventh. And I thought that was really important given the state of the bullpen, which we're going to get to here in just a moment. They needed that from him. I know he only you know faced two batters in that seventh inning. He finished with another strikeout of Randy Rosarena, but I thought that was a really significant thing for him. And look, here's the bottom line number. You talked about how he's been three of the last four starts. His June ERA is 1.95. Can't find fault with that. I think we just have to accept that so far, at least this year, at least half the time, if not more than the time, Joe Ross has been very good. 
And one out of every three or four starts, he's really bad. And there's just not a lot of middle ground there. This is probably the closest to a middle ground start that he's had, although I think it was, you know, still one of his better ones under the circumstances. You just have to accept that's what a back of the rotation guy is going to be. But that's fine. You know, if if that's what your number four or five starter is, they will take that and run with it. He has advanced here and taken another step. And you just have to acknowledge that not everyone's going to look like this. There are going to be some bad ones, some blow ups along the way. And he's giving the Nats length in these games, which is so key given the state of that bullpen. I mean, these three recent good starts, 5 nothing win over San Francisco at Nats Park on June 13th, probably the best outing of Ross's career, eight scoreless innings, nine strikeouts. You had the 7-3 win at Miami last Thursday night, seven scoreless innings, eight strikeouts. And now this game, this win over the Rays on Tuesday night, two runs in six into third innings on seven strikeouts. So there's some length in there. I mean, maybe not so much on Tuesday night, although six into third these days is, is like a marathon for a starting pitcher. But for him to go eight scoreless against the Giants, seven scoreless against Miami, that's terrific. Really good to see that from Joe Ross. Got to keep it going, like we always say with these guys, but he's doing overall I think what you would reasonably hope for from a number four, number five starter, and, you know, especially given, it's interesting to me, you bring up that he's throwing the ball so hard right now. You think about him not having pitched all of last season. Maybe that arm is rounding into form, and maybe there's uh, like a freshness with the arm to where this time of year, he can really pick it up when it comes to the velocity. Yeah, I think there could be something to that. He is finally on a real routine every fifth day, building the arm up. The warmer weather probably helps him feel a little looser as well. And now as we move into the second half, the interesting thing is going to be, Davey keeps bringing this up, that they're going to be watching his workload and his innings count because he sat out last season. And I don't know if this team's in a race down the stretch and unless they have five other healthy and effective starters, it's going to be hard to shut down Joe Ross. I don't know if that's the plan or maybe they have him skip a start here or there along the way. I'll be curious to see how this plays out. But at the moment, he clearly should be pitching every fifth day for them. But it is going to be something to watch as we get into August and then September. All right. So the Nationals bullpen, this is unreal. This almost seems like someone's version of a cruel joke. Every day, it feels like right now, the Nationals are putting a reliever on a 10-day injured list. And it happened again on Tuesday. The Nats announcing a flurry of roster moves to the bullpen. The biggest item, the Nats putting Tanner Rainey on the 10-day IL, retroactive to June 28th with a stress reaction in his right tibia. Another one of these Nats injuries that came out of nowhere. Nobody knew this was happening until it happened uh, in terms of the roster move on Tuesday. So the Nats 10-day IL right now includes four prominent relievers in Rainey, Daniel Hudson, Kyle Finnegan, and Will Harris. Don't forget about Will Harris. Four key Nats relievers on the 10-day IL right now. The Nats did designate Justin Miller for assignment on Tuesday. I brought this up in the previous installment of the podcast. How much longer can they go here with Justin Miller? He was so bad in the 8-4 win over the Mets on Monday night, giving up the back-to-back homers to Pete Alonso and Billy McKinney. Well, now Miller's been DFA'd. The Nats recalled Ryan Harper from AAA Rochester, and the Nats selected the contract of lefty Kyle Lobstein from AAA Rochester. This is where we're at right now. Kyle Lobstein, Lachayim, is on the Nationals roster here in late June. But man, what a situation right now for this Nats bullpen. I will unfortunately inform my fellow members of the tribe that Kyle Lobstein is not one of us. He's not. He joins the long list of um, Nationals players over the years who sound like they have Jewish names, but unfortunately do not. The list starts with Jason Bergman and uh, we can go through all the others. But uh, Jason Marquis remains the only one that they've ever had in their history here. So sorry, everyone who got excited about the possibility of Kyle Lobstein. 
this is pretty striking when you when you look at what the actual bullpen is right now. I'm going to read you the names of the nine relievers on this team, and you tell me if these are the nine relievers you ever expected to be comprising the bullpen at the same time. Brad Hand, Wander Suero, Austin Voth, Sam Clay, Kyle McGowan, Jeffrey Rodriguez, Ryan Harper, Andres Machado, and Kyle Lobstein. That's your Nationals bullpen right now. And it's really a minor miracle they've held up as well as they have. And credit to those who've been pressed into service and had to do some things. In this game, Austin Voth came up big, Sam Clay came up big, and then Brad Hand. Boy, I didn't think he was going to pitch tonight. I thought that this would be the time that one, either Brad would say he couldn't go or Davey would say, no, I'm not going to use you. And then sure enough, <laughs> in a 4-2 game, look who's warming up to come in and pitch the ninth. And he did. He gave up a leadoff homer and then he got the next three outs. But he's got to have Wednesday off, obviously. And they're going to have to make do. Davey's just trying to win every game he can. And I understand that. But you just hope with everything else that's happened to the other guys that we aren't talking about Brad Hand ending up on the IL here in the next few weeks. Well, that's the thing, right? I mean, Brad Hand is now in that Sean Doolittle, Daniel Hudson, Wander Suero territory of just being run into the ground. And hopefully Hand is able to hold up, but you really do have to wonder about that. Those four guys should form like a support group with how much they get used by Davey Martinez. But I get it from Davey's perspective. You are trying to win, so I don't want to kill Davey for doing this. But Hand right now, I mean, three consecutive days on which he pitches. He pitches on Tuesday night off recording, of course, a five-out save on Monday night. The home run obviously can be forgiven. That shot by Mike Zanino off the left field foul pole on the ball that stayed in the air for like an hour and a half. But hand comes through. And it's really not just him. Like Sam Clay is being used a lot. We've seen a good bit of Austin Voth here lately. So I don't know that they can keep this up, but they don't really have much of a choice right now. This is a brutal stretch in terms of the competition, but also in terms of not having any off days. The Nats not having that off day on Monday really hurt them. This all-star break cannot come soon enough. This is such a grind, though, too, especially when you also throw into the mix, you got a West Coast trip coming up, so that's always not easy for teams. You just got to kind of close your eyes here and plow forward and hope you get to the all-star break in one piece. But this is tough, man, because you're not going to get, I mean, realistically speaking, even if you get seven innings a game from your starters, which you're not going to get, but let's say even you get that, you still have some innings, game in, game out, your bullpen's going to have to cover. So it almost seems unavoidable here. Either Davey's going to have to run some of these guys into the ground, or he's going to have to throw Kyle Lobstein and Andres Machado out there at some point here moving forward. And this is why, and I'm going to go out on a, on a real limb here and predict something. I think Mike Rizzo is going to try to make a move and bring in somebody else and not wait till the end of July to do it, but maybe do it before the All-Star break. He's done it before with relievers. A few years ago, remember Kelvin Herrera from the Royals, which at the time I thought was a really savvy move to get him early. He was like another closer. They didn't need one, but it was another good late inning arm. Now it didn't work out. He was bad and then he got hurt. It kind of blew up in their faces. But I think if ever there is a time to go make a move for a reliever early, well before the deadline, this is it because of the stretch they're in, because of the current state of the group, you can get somebody without giving up a top prospect there are going to be decent names out there of just reliable setup men, somebody who's going to be a free agent at the end of the year, doesn't cost a lot in salary, doesn't cost a lot in prospects. I would not be shocked if before the All-Star break, there's a, a new accomplished member of the bullpen on this team. 
It makes sense. I mean, the Nats don't have a lot to give up to begin with, and you hate to see them have to give up anything. I mean, I really would like one of these years for the Nats to not have to make an in-season trade for bullpen help, because I think as time goes on, that really does help to whittle down your farm system even more. But Mike Rizzo may not have a choice here. Like, if you're really all in on winning this season, this is a brutal stretch they're in. The stars have aligned to where, I mean, you've got, again, four prominent relievers on the 10-day IL right now. And you've got a rotation that, you know, you feel pretty good about, but you've got questions with this rotation too. And so like, yeah, it's nice to see Joe Ross doing as he's doing. And yeah, you know, Patrick Corbin's been better lately, but does anyone have supreme confidence in Corbin start in, start out? This next game against the Rays. Oh, by the way, John Lester is starting. Game two, Wednesday afternoon at 4.05, John Lester versus Michael Waka. We have seen Lester do well this season. It was just two starts ago that John Lester had one of his better outings so far this year, two runs in six innings, and he actually tossed six scoreless innings before giving up the two runs to begin the top of the seventh. But in Lester's most recent outing, he did not look good, right? 11-2 loss at Miami on Friday night. Complete disaster. Seven runs in two into third innings. I mean, Mark, what if Lester has another one of these blow-up outings on Wednesday? And the Nats have to ride the pen to the tune of, you know, five, six innings on Wednesday afternoon. What is that going to do? What kind of a domino effect is that going to have going into a four-game set against the Dodgers and then that aforementioned trip out West? I hate to say this, but I don't think that's that unlikely of a possibility. I think, you know, given what we've seen from him, given that he's facing a raised lineup that can hit the ball out of the yard, given that it's going to be really, really hot and muggy on Wednesday afternoon at four o'clock, and we know about Lester's issues with excessive sweating. That's that's what it is. He's had this for a long time. This shapes up to be a potentially rough outing for him. And so I do think they have to watch him carefully. And yeah, there's going to come a point here where Davey has no choice but to pitch some of those names that we just went through. Even if it is a competitive game, he's just going to have to do it. Now, I mean, you know, the good side is here, they're winning so many games and they're in position to win so many games. And that's why he is leaning on the two or three relievers that he has any faith in. And you'd rather have that than the alternative. But if they don't have a game where they're getting blown out or they're clearly just going to lose it and you can just go use those other guys, you're just going to have to use them. You just have to take one day and say, even if it means it costs us this one particular game, we're going to throw those guys out there, see how it goes and save our bullets for the next day, because eventually this will catch up with you. So I mentioned this upcoming four game set against the Dodgers. A couple of items popped up regarding this on Tuesday. So first of all, the pitching matchups are more or less set for this series. These things can be altered, but game three, Nats Dodgers, Saturday night, 7-15, first pitch on Fox. The projected pitching matchup, Paolo Espino versus Clayton Kershaw. This is the spot for our guy. Paolo versus Kershaw, one of the greatest pitchers in Major League Baseball history, and Clayton Kershaw going head-to-head <laughs> Saturday night on Fox. But I, I can't wait, man. If our guy kills it Saturday night on Fox against Kershaw, these T-shirts, which are coming, the Paolo Espino Secret Weapon T-shirts, courtesy of the Nats Chat Podcast, forget about it, man. Tim Shovers is going to have to quadruple the back order. I, like everyone else, is going to have their fingers crossed that this one turns out all right because we've seen Paolo overcome a lot this year. But he's going to be facing the Dodgers lineup and Clayton Kershaw on a big game on fireworks night on July 3rd. It's probably going to be 
you know, maybe the biggest crowd of the season. This is going to be big time, and it'll be interesting to see how he holds up to all that. We all hope that he can. I think we would all also understand if it doesn't happen for him on that night. And I think he's entitled to one <laughs> like that if it does come to that. Hopefully it doesn't. This is a big time series that they're going to be facing, uh, the defending champs who are playing pretty well right now. They do have their issues, including Trevor Bauer, who is scheduled to pitch Sunday against Joe Ross. And we'll see what happens the next few days as he has suddenly found himself embroiled in an off-the-field situation that could affect his status. I don't know. We'll see. But this is a big-time series that's going to go a long way toward telling us where the Nationals really stand. Yeah, and so that was the other item that I wanted to bring up. Bauer, who's set to start that July 4th Sunday morning game, he now is embroiled in some controversy that he is under investigation for assault. A woman claims that he got physical with her earlier this year. His attorney has put out a statement saying that all that ever happened between Bauer and the woman were two encounters of consensual rough sex that the woman asked for, including requests to be choked out and slapped in the face. So who knows what is true and what is not. But if Trevor Bauer is at least put off to the side momentarily, Boy, is that a huge break for the Nationals, just from purely a baseball perspective, if they avoid him for this Game 4 on Sunday. But we'll see. There's a lot to be determined when it comes to that. You can always email us here at the Nats Chat Podcast, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. We got this email from Michael Sloan on the surging Kyle Schwerber, although this question was about Schwerber's defense. Writes Michael, the eye test says he's playing well, great at times, with all of those outfield assists he was having earlier. But I was looking at baseball reference, which puts him in a negative war territory. Am I reading that right? Any thoughts on the subject of Schwarber's defense? Well, defense is tricky when it comes to the advanced metrics. And people within baseball will tell you that the publicly available defensive metrics are spotty. And a lot of teams actually go by their own stats, their proprietary metrics when it comes to measuring defense. But what is notable when it comes to Kyle Schwarber is he actually now does rate in a negative fashion in all three of what we will call the big three in terms of the defensive metrics. So he's at minus 0.6 defensive war. This is for games beginning on Tuesday. So this is not through Tuesday, but minus 0.6 defensive war, minus three defensive runs saved, and then minus five outs above average. Outs above average is a, a stat cast based metric that's gained in popularity in recent years. So I think what you want to do with a lot of the defensive metrics is just look at all of them and just see if there's like a general consensus on is this guy good or not. I, I would not though look at any one defensive stat as like being the Bible because they're all kind of flawed in their own ways. But those are the three I think to look at, DRS, OAA, and defensive war. And, you know, it's interesting with like some of the other nationals, like Juan Soto, for instance. Juan Soto, if you go by his defensive war going into games on Tuesday – minus 0.2. That's, you know, that's not terrible or anything, but that is below league average or below replacement level even. Soto, though, if you go by outs above average, is at plus four on the season. If you go by defensive run saved, is at plus one on the season. So they don't always agree. You got to kind of take them with a grain of salt. But it is notable here, Schwarber's defensive numbers, for whatever they are worth to you, they have come down here over these last few weeks as the homers have, of course, soared to the moon. Well, and I think the other point you, you would know more about this is that it, we're still only talking about 77 games. And often the more games you have in a sample size, the more reliable the defensive metrics are. The smaller samples, it's a little tougher to get. So let's see at the end of the year where it is. What I would tell you is based on what I'd see with my own eyes. And, and as Mike Rizzo loves to say, he always prefers that when the numbers back up what he sees with his own eyes, that's when he knows it's legit. 
And what I've seen is a guy who has a good arm, obviously, and teams aren't running on him anymore. There hasn't been a real attempt on him in quite a while after that little stretch where he was throwing runners out. So that may be hurting him is that he hasn't had chances. I think a lot of his value was in throwing runners out and he hasn't had the opportunities lately. And then the second thing would be there are those plays that they're certainly not errors and they're not even what you'd call bad defensive plays, but they're balls that maybe could be caught by some, particularly balls in the gap where you see he and Robles both go for it and, and it falls in. And again, You'd never stop and even question whether that was a play that should have been made, but sometimes they're plays that could be made, and maybe an elite left fielder is getting there to make that play, and Schwarber is not. I have no qualms with him in left field. That has not been an issue to me. We've seen them replace him late in games a little bit lately just because of his knee that he's been dealing with, but I have had no issues with him out there, and he has more than made up for it with what he's done at the plate, so I'm not concerned at all about what his defensive metrics say. 100%. And you're very right about the sample size. Defensive metrics, especially, you really want to judge a guy based on like multiple years of the defensive metrics. That's why some of the defensive metrics for last season with the 60 game season got all out of whack because you're judging guys on two months. I mean, you know, I I don't even know if we should have had defensive metrics for last year. But I will say this about the whole eye test thing I think that can get you into some trouble because your eyes can deceive you. And like you just said, a guy may look just fine, but actually it turns out he's not as fine as you may think. So I, I think you do need some sort of objective methodology when it comes to measuring defense. But as is the case with any stat, it's never gospel. Like it's something to look at. It's something to work into the accounting. But you should never just be a slave to any particular number, especially again with these defensive metrics, which are still being worked on and crafted and altered because even the people who come up with them admit to you these are flawed. Like baseball pretty much has the offensive numbers down. Those are dead on accurate. The defensive numbers are still working on, especially with the shifts. You know, the shifts have thrown things off in the outfield. A corner outfielder who plays with a great center fielder, that corner outfielder's advanced defensive metrics can be skewed by having a great center fielder who covers a lot of ground. So there's a lot to be thinking about with that sort of a thing. Well, you tell us what you think. You can always email us, uh, like we said, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. You can tweet the show too at Nats underscore chat. Shout out Norfolk, which continues to be a stronghold when it comes to the Nats chat podcast. We are huge in the Norfolk area. So a salute to all of you Nationals fans listening in and around the great city of Norfolk. We are also very excited to tell you that the next installment of the Nats chat podcast is going to include another special guest. And this time the special guest will be one of the best relievers in Nationals history, and actually with this guy, you have to say Expos slash Nationals history because he goes back to the Expos, Chad Cordero, a man who was dominant in that initial national season of 2005. Mark and I were fortunate enough to have a really good chat with Chad the other day, and you're going to be hearing that on the next installment of the Nats Chad podcast, so the show that comes out on Thursday morning. But I know you and Chad have a very good relationship. Great dude, and he he had a lot of good stuff to say. Yeah, that was fun to catch up with him. I mean, obviously, I've known him for, God, 16 years now since the first season. And there's a lot of great stories and memories from that 2005 season, which he will share. And I thought it was interesting also just his thoughts on all the good to great closers that they've had over the years since him and how they compare to him. And I thought it was kind of nice that he sort of hoped that at least one of them would stick around a little longer and break some of his records because it's still to this day, he holds both the single season and the career saves record for the Nationals. It's a little bit 
surprising to think that given some of the other closers they've had, but it also tells you just how good Chad Cordero was. If you're somebody who didn't really become a Nats fan until over the last decade when they started to become more competitive, uh, do yourself a favor. Look up some of Chad Cordero's stats, especially from the 2005 season, because he was lights out phenomenal for a team that was a lot of fun in that inaugural season. He was outstanding that year, no question about that. We continue to get record download numbers for the podcast. We want to thank you guys so much for that. If you don't already subscribe, please consider subscribing. If you have the time, please give the podcast a five-star rating and write just like a one-sentence review. That stuff helps out a lot. But thank you so much for your continued support of the Nats Chat Podcast. And yes, Nats Chat Podcast t-shirts available soon to come. The Paolo Espino specialty of the secret weapon. Get your Nats Chat Pod t-shirts at natschatpodcast.square.site. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. And delivers. Swinging a line drive to right. Here comes Soto. He's right there. He makes the catch. And a curly W's in the books. Brad Hand gets it done. Remember, this is a good team. You guys stay with us now, right? Stay with us. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.